Welcome to They Live By Film, a platform dedicated to bringing you film discussion and interviews from around the world. I am a cold, uh, ridden, sick Adam Lundy, and I'm with my co-hosts Chris Haskell and Zach Bryant as usual. Uh, hello, gentlemen. How are you guys doing? Hello. Well, I didn't uh, lay out in the field of like a wet soccer field and get sick, so I feel pretty good, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I wish I laid out. I wish I was playing. I was about to watch a game and I got sick. So. <laughs> well, you, your voice still sounds better than any of ours, uh, Adam. Even, <laughs> even sick, you're still the the, <laughs> the leader of the group here. Uh, how are y'all doing? Getting ready yeah. for my ninth straight day of work. So Ooh. after this, yeah. Already up. Here's a here's a fun fact. In Ireland, that's illegal. So there's another thing um, <laughs> that we do better than you guys. They're not allowed to work. I'd be illegal here. I'm not sure. I'm just doing it. I make my own schedule. <laughs> <laughs> job is, my own schedule. That is such a great point. Like, I think so many labor laws in the U.S. people just don't know about because it's like, well, I'll take the money or you know whatever. Like, they just don't think to check. I owe seven thousand dollars on that car. I want it paid off, so I'm like suffering through it. Exactly. Exactly. Anyone well, watched anything cool or want to shout out something they picked up before we get into the, the meat and potatoes of the episode? Uh, sure, I'll give my weekly bad take. So um, I want, I've want i been going through uh, M. Night Shyamalan stuff kind of a little bit over time where he had uh, Knock of the Cabin come out. Uh, so I rewatched The Happening, which I haven't seen since I was like in like 15 years. So I was probably like 14 or 15 last time I saw it. That movie is not nearly as bad as people say it is. And I'm amazed like it gets put on like worst films of all time list because it's really not that bad. Like there's some goofy stuff in it, like some real like M. Night stuff, but it's nowhere close to like Last Airbender or After Earth or other movies that are just really, really bad that aren't even M. Night. So I don't know. I, I don't know if like, I think people don't realize that I think it's a purposeful campy film like it feels very 50s like uh when you watch like uh invasion of the body snatchers or we watch the blob for like this podcast it feels very much like that like even down to like mark marky mark being cast it feels very much like steve mcqueen being casted as like the 17 year old kid uh in the (laughs) blob this feels so out of place that it almost feels purposeful and i know you're not a big fan of the birds adam so i'm not sure your feelings on the happening would change but it feels a lot like the birds as well like yeah. just trying to feel to everything. I haven't seen it since a similar age, like when it came out, basically. Whatever year it was that came out, but that's when I saw it. And like if I remember correctly, it's about plants making people want to kill themselves, right? Isn't yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like this goofy idea, like and it's kind of this idea like you take something that's so ridiculous, but you give it like an actual threat. Like the actual like suicide scenes in the film are really effectively done. The violence is really well done. It's just taking a really ridiculous idea and just running with it in a, in a really dark way, which is either going to work or it's not. But I was like, I, 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 don't, I think a lot of the comedy that people think is like just bad as like, I think it's intentional. Like Mark Wahlberg talks to a plastic plant for like five minutes of the film. <laughs> I don't think the movie takes itself that seriously. But you're, you're kind of a, a Shyamalan apologist anyways, right? I mean, I like M. Night. I, I, you know, I, I have my issues with M. Night. But I mean, when it comes to like modern directors who at least take a swing, no matter what they do, like 
I'm never going to criticize him for at least trying something weird, even if it doesn't always work. Because I feel like there's a safety in a lot of like modern directors, and he doesn't have that. He's just going to go for it, and I respect that. Yeah, that's fair. The blank check guys like him too, um, so that you're certainly not alone. I don't know. I struggle with him sometimes. I, I, I do. I hear what you're saying, but I wonder if he shouldn't be constrained a little bit. In the, I mean, because uh, like the, with that, like the times he's worked for like a studio has been his two worst films. Like when you look at After mm. studio film. When you look at Last Airbender, studio film. After that, he had to start financing them himself. Like when he did The Visit in 2015, he put his house up to do it. All mm. this is his own money. He's playing all of it with his own money. And I just think that's really cool. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm sure that's why the blank check guys like him because it's like he, his blank check is himself. True. <laughs> true, true, true. So what about what about you guys? What have you been watching? Uh, I can go quick, Adam. Save your save your breath here for a minute. Um, I wa- I finally got around to watching the 1998 uh, kind of action movie called Ronin. Ronin, the John Frankenheimer John one. Frankenheimer. Okay, film. I had to yeah. think about who did that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That written by David Mamet. I was like, man, this is going to be a slam dunk. I mean, you know, I, someone's already given me a hard time about this on Letterbox, so I think maybe I'm just maybe I viewed it the wrong way. But it's like such a bad understanding of what Ronin are. <laughs> like, the you know, it's one of these things where it feels like, you know, sometimes, I don't know if, if y'all know this kind of joke, but every once in a while you'll see people walking around the streets of the U.S. with like really tight braids in their hair. And you're like, oh, somebody went to the Caribbean on vacation. And now all of a sudden they're like Caribbean lifestyle. You know? <laughs> like, like they, you know, they changed their persona just because they had like three days in the Caribbean. Um, I feel like, David Mamet or Frankenheimer or both of them just read like a snippet on Wikipedia about how cool Ronin were. And they were like, oh, we should put this in, a, in an action movie that we already wrote and just try to like force it in. Um, so I liked the action bits and I and I got super annoyed at the Ronin bits because it like, it didn't fit. Like, I don't know why I call it Ronin. Like just make a cool action movie where De Niro is, is kind of a badass and I think everybody would have been fine with that. Um, it's funny you bring up Ronan because I was talking to one of my friends earlier and he messaged me and he was like, oh, hey, Adam, have you ever seen Ronan? And I was like, no, haven't seen it. Uh, John Frankenheimer, right? And he goes, yeah, yeah. It's like, I've seen seconds, but I haven't seen Ronan. He goes, oh, it's so awesome. It's like one of the best films I've ever seen. So uh, <laughs> I look forward to messaging him after we finish recording now to tell him uh, that the movie's actually shit. Sorry. No, no. no I mean... <laughs> I just I'm curious because like I don't know I've never seen it I, I, but it kind of almost sounds like um, Ghost Dog and when yeah. you take that modern so what what didn't really work for that because I know you like Ghost Dog I didn't like Ghost Dog so I'm curious like what worked for you there but didn't work in Ronan oh no no, no. I, I want to make sure like I think Ronan is a cool movie like uh-huh. there's the, like there's amazing car chases in it. like when they're driving through these small Italian streets uh-huh. uh, it's it's great like super cool action in it. Um, I think the two things I didn't like about it were they tried to, so the whole idea of a Ronin is that you, you are a samurai that used to have a, a house or a master and you, and you no longer do. So you're like a, a gun for hire, right. Or a sword for hire. Right. Okay. And they took that basic premise and tried to like jam it into this idea of like De Niro's a former American uh, military leader or like, like special ops guy who is now doesn't have a country. 
so he's fighting for Ireland or he's maybe fighting for Germany or he's maybe fighting for, I forget, Russia, whatever. But like, you know, he's just kind of like a gun for hire. Um, so they got the general like 10,000 foot premise in, but they did that annoying thing where they like flashed up quotes of like old Ronin text, but it then they didn't follow it up with like, it wasn't really about like a, a Ronin or it, the, the metaphor was, was that shallow. Like it was just, you know, they didn't like work on it at all. It was just like, hey, here's another profession that's like doesn't have a master. And then they just tried to like jam that idea in like wherever they could by like a, a quote from an old text. But it just it felt like forced, you know? Okay. Um, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And I just wish they didn't do that because like they made a cool action thriller. Like it's great. Um we're good anyways. But then it just, it's like, I, you know, I don't even know how to say it. It's just like, there's that one annoying thing that I, but I wish they wouldn't do and they just like kept doing it. <laughs> so I was like, I kept getting reminded that like I was annoyed with them. Um, but Ghost Talk is just, just awesome. Anyways, we, that's a different podcast. But um, uh, the but other thing. It's the same podcast, just a different episode. That's a different episode. Yeah. <laughs> the same yeah. podcast. <laughs> that's true. Um, then the only other thing I'll say is that I've I watched now three Eisenstein movies. So the Criterion box set, you know, I'm doing this Criterion by Spine series every week. Um, and so the first one was Alexander Nevsky, which was this kind of folklore hero tale. And then the next two were Ivan the Terrible 1 and 2, which were only made four years apart, but were released 14 years apart. And I don't know how more people don't, I mean, I know, like film school people and critics love Eisenstein, but he's a like he's a filmmaker. I feel like everybody would love. Like it, it's like Passion of Joan of Arc angles and 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 framing and shadowing, but made by Spielberg or somebody who just like really understands what people like. Like it's these movies are so fun and like there's so much action. And when they when they're in a hall, like uh, you know it's just about Ivan the Terrible. And when they're in a hall. They'll, they'll pull back and it's this like massive hall that they've created as a set piece fully frescoed and there's just like a bunch of people in there scheming and um it's just great like what a fun three movies and they they're all short like Ivan the terrible part one I think was an hour and a half and part two was like 85 minutes and then he pissed off Stalin so he didn't get to make part three before he died um but it's just I don't know like I wish more people would and then the other one that I haven't seen, but Battleship Potemkin is apparently super easy to watch and fun to watch. Yeah, so I, I don't. That's the only one I've seen from Eisenstein is Battleship Potemkin. Um, is, is it good? It's interesting. Like it's it, it from from what you're saying about Nevsky and, and Ivan the Terrible, it certainly doesn't have like a like as much of a plot, if that makes sense. But like right. the filmmaking is super interesting. Um, you obviously everyone talks about Eisenstein with the with the editing. And you know that's certainly like the most interesting aspect of it. Like, it is essentially communist propaganda. <laughs> There's no getting away from Bachelor Potemkin being anything else other than communist propaganda. Yeah. But uh, it's really darn tootin' well made communist propaganda. <laughs> so I'll, I'll give it that much. That's what. Yeah. I mean, Ivan the Terrible is just the first one is just him basically saying how great Stalin is by using Ivan the Terrible as like a hero of of trying to bring people together right but then the second one he goes off and and like he just 
it goes crazy. It's like a some weird combination of like uh is it Dreyer that made Joan of Arc, right? And then like yeah, uh, like like Fellini's craziest moments kind of like glued together. So I don't know. I thought it was awesome. I really like yeah, I need it. to get around to seeing him. I think I've put uh, Alexander Nevsky on my criterion challenge list every year, but obviously I never complete it, so I never watch it. Oh yeah, um, yeah. But I'm pretty sure I put it on there every year. Uh, I, I definitely need to get around to watching uh, Nevsky, and apparently I'm the terrible part one and two from what you're saying. Yeah, I, I would say I'm in the terrible first. I mean, Nevsky just feels like a kind of a bog standard, yeah, not kids movie, but like. Uh, the kind of movie that you like pass down generations is like a folklore of like how great Russia is and how great, you know, there, there's a quote in Nevsky that's basically like, if you lead with the sword, you'll die by the sword. Like basically saying like, don't come into Russia. <laughs> uh, you know, like if you, if you, if you point the sword at us, like you'll get it pointed back into your heart kind of thing. So I don't know what season that is. They're probably correct. Yeah, no, totally. That's like <laughs> if if history's taught anything, it's don't try to invade Russia, right? And like that's a yeah. Big... It's like it's there's like two things you're taught in a history class. Uh, you know, don't don't invade Russia and that, and you know, don't keep printing money. That's like your only two rules in history. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Uh, Adam, what about you? Uh, yeah, I have quite a lot to run down through, so I'm gonna try and just sort of briefly go through a few things. Um, so since we last spoke, I've watched, is it one, two, three, four, five, six movies from the Sight and Sound expanded list, uh, kind of starting with the sort of shorter ones and, and making my way through. Uh, so I'm just going to talk briefly about each of those. And then there's two other films I just want to shout out really quick. So I watched Wavelength. I don't know if you guys have heard of Wavelength. Um, they call it a structuralist film, which I know that's going to ruffle some jimmies for Zach. Um, it's basically CCTV footage of one room for 90 minutes and pretty much nothing happens except for this really annoying, droning, high-pitched noise. The film succeeded in only giving me a headache. Um, it's just, I don't understand it. Uh, I don't get it. I know it's supposedly art, but uh, yeah, I don't get CCTV, CC, crappy CCTV footage. You know, it's not even like Paranormal Activity 2 CCTV footage. We're talking about really crappy CCTV and with a really loud so drone. What, what we're looking at? Which one is it? 1967 <laughs> wavelength. Yeah, awful. Uh, don't don't understand it. Uh, you didn't even give it a star rating. <laughs> I didn't know how to rate it. I didn't know. I didn't. I didn't. I just didn't get it. I just didn't understand what to do. Um, the next one I watched. I'm going to struggle to say this one. I I would. This would be one I try and dare Zach to say. Symbiopsychotaxoplasm, take one. Um, um, yeah. You guys have probably heard of that when Criterion put it out. Um, it's probably more interesting than good, maybe. Um, it's a making of of a making of of a film. So you just see this really unique perspective of people making a film about a making of documentary about them casting for a film. So throughout the whole film, you never actually see the end product of what they're shooting because they're just filming casting calls essentially um it's interesting uh it looks nice um it wasn't too long obviously so i wasn't yeah i wasn't too fussed on it either way um it, it was interesting but I, I don't know if i'd call it good um the next one was a russian film which i hadn't heard of before it was published in the list by the bluest of seas uh, it was a soviet movie from the 30s but unlike most soviet movies i've seen it wasn't serious it was like a rom-com basically Again, the story didn't do much for me. The characters didn't do much for me. It looked nice. The cinematography was really good. 
Um, but yeah, again, not really too sure why it appears in the top 250 of all time. Wasn't, yeah, wasn't, wasn't really for me. Uh, one film I did enjoy was the next one, which was Paris is Burning. Um, really, really fun documentary, really interesting sort of, you know, just seeing this kind of underground culture that I never really knew much about. It's really interesting hearing like all sort of modern slang terms that are used now, like, you know, throwing shade and queen and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, originated from from this movement uh, in New York. So I thought that was really, really intriguing. Um, the next one I watched was the Derek Jarman film Blue, which uh, is just a blue screen uh, for like 90 minutes or so. Uh, or maybe an hour or something like that. It's just a blue screen because at this point, Derek Jarman was practically blind. He could only see in shades of blue. Um, probably has the best sound design in a film ever. It's, and you know, it kind of has to be when when the only thing you're showing visually is a blue screen, your sound yeah. kind of has to make up for that. And yeah. it does. I watched it with headphones on and it was amazing. Um, so if you don't have a really good sound system at home and you want to watch it, I definitely recommend watching it with headphones on because it will just make a world of difference. And then the last one, which is kind of the opposite of blue, is The Color of of Pomegranates, uh, which is a very visually stimulating film. Incredibly beautiful cinematography, costume, set design, framing. Really, really beautiful film. I have no idea what goes on. No idea what happens. <laughs> I know it's apparently, it's a po- it basically, it's a poetic take on the life of a poet. So I have no idea what happens in the movie, but geez, it was so nice to look at. Gorgeous, gorgeous movie um, with very little plot or very little plot, very little dialogue, except for some like singing, like folklore songs um, in, I think, Belarusian or, or something like that. I think it's where it originates from. Uh, so those are all my sight and sound watches. And then just really quickly, um, I am officially on the side of Zach Bryan when it comes to Babylon. It is amazing. Um, Thank you. The movies, uh, look, don't get me wrong. The movie is messy. But it's it it that's what makes it good because it's such a messy era, such a messy time. The, the film itself needs to be messy as well. I thought it was great, really entertaining. Um, without giving spoilers, there's a scene in like a weird BDSM club that I think was super tense. It's probably the most tense I've been since the basement scene in Zodiac. Really, really great scene, great film. Um, don't know why people were shitting on it. I know why people didn't go see it. We talked about this because it came at the same time as Avatar, but I don't really understand the negative reviews. I thought it was really, really good. Uh, I know Zach doesn't like La La Land, but I do like La La Land. And I thought it was just as good. Um, so I don't really see why people were shitting on it too much. And then the last thing, sorry to drag this out. Last thing I'm going to just give a quick shout out to is a movie I watched last night is one of the new releases from Radiance Films. I watched Miami Blues uh, with Alec Baldwin. Such a fun movie. I didn't really know what to expect from it. So much fun. It's like, I, I read a review that described it as heat, but if the criminal and the cop were both terrible at their jobs, and <laughs> that's like pretty much sums it up. Really great film. So much fun. Perfect balance of sort of comedy and cool. Really nice color palette. Really great performances. Um, it's never. I'd never even heard of it before, before Radiance put it out. So... Yeah, I'm already calling it like a super underrated gem from the early 90s. Really, really great film. Um, I know obviously you have it on the way, Chris, so you'll see it eventually. Uh, it might be worth you tracking down as well, Zach. It's just a really fun sort of comedy crime caper. Okay. 
Yeah, it, that's, trying that's to good. avoid radiance because I really, really, really don't need a new no, label. <laughs> Zach, you you can you can. So uh, this is this is a Region B only release for them because in the states it's uh, put out through MVD Rewind. Ah, okay, okay. Mm -hmm. And and the nice thing about MVD Rewind is that they're on the British price system. They're always cheaper than the other labels. Okay. Cool. Okay. Um, I'll that like I, I love the look of radiance. Like every time Adam posts it, I'm like, man, that looks so no. nice. And yeah. I'm like, I can't, I can't, I can't. <laughs> no, no, no. It's I, I can't wait to see that coming in. Uh, yeah, I've got that coming in. There's another one he'd put out called A Woman Kills, which is supposed to be really dark and depressing. Yeah, I got but, that one too. Luckily, it's only it's short. It's like 67 minutes or something. Okay. Um, so yeah, apparently it's like supposed to be kind of a French New Wave film made by somebody who's really depressed. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> no, it actually sounds like something that that you might be interested in. Zach, <laughs> going by the blurb, I, uh, I'll send you the link to it later. But okay. it actually seems like something you actually might be interested in. Yeah, no, don't send it to him. He's trying not to get into radiance. <laughs> no, that's why. That's why I'm going to send it to him. Okay, okay. Join I, us. I, I need less money in my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, oh, and speaking of Babylon, I'll make this quick. I don't understand because you can also watch seconds of Avatar in babylon so really you could see that's so Avatar true twice in theaters that's so true that uh, that is factual there is well, a brief and, moment of avatar in it and zach as i'm sure this is what you mean by this avatar is so shallow that if you see three minutes of it you've basically seen the whole movie so there's no point in watching the rest of it hey, where's that end there's the lead button. <laughs> there <it is>. uh, <laughs> sorry i couldn't resist Speaking of shallow, let's get into. No, I'm just kidding. Let's get, let's get into Chris's movies, but I'm not gonna. <laughs> um. Oh boy. Okay, y'all. So, um, sorry ahead of time. These movies were a little bit darker than I had thought going in. Um, Adam, sorry. I know I had no idea about some of the sexual assault stuff in here. Um. So apologies ahead of time. Should have done my research. It is what it is. I uh, when you know when when Takeshi Miike is involved, I guess I should have at least double checked. I just these films had been held up, you know. So Fukasaku won a lot of awards for this, um, and it's held up as one of his best films. Kind of people talk about his career, so I thought it was. Uh, I didn't even think to to check. I just thought it'd be a fun fun romp. But um, okay, let's 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 dive into this. Are you all okay if I just kind of set the background for what we're about to do? We're, we're about to talk about okay great um 40s and 50s there was a guy running around japan by the name of rikyo ishikawa um and he caused a lot of trouble so he he had no fear uh he was a yakuza guy um he was just kind of he, he there, there's a lot of respect and sort of uh, tradition even though it's a you know criminal organization uh, it, it's very much still kind of rooted in the Japanese traditions uh, of respect and um, hierarchy. And you, know, you never go above a brother or you never go against a boss and you, you, you do, you know, you leave your family behind. And uh, this, this Rikio character came in and people didn't know what to do with him because he was just brash. He didn't play by the Yakuza rules, but, but he was a handy kind of hitman to have if, if he was on your side. Um, Cause he was such a, sociopath essentially um so and he ended his life uh by on, on his own terms and the last thing he wrote 
and there's no spoilers here, by the way, for anyone listening. I mean, I guess technically there is, but like the point is that these movies were, were written based off of the recollections of his life and the actions of his life. So he ended his life uh, on his own terms, and he wrote a note by saying, essentially, wow, 30 years uh, of just screwing around. It's been such a wild ride. Or what a laugh, I think is what his quote was. And so uh, Fukusaku got a hold of this. And, uh, oh, I should say Goro Fujita wrote this this book about his life. And uh, Fujita has been a screenwriter before. There was five movies that came out in Japan called the Outlaw Gangster VIP series. And Fujita was a, was a writer of all of those. So he's he's been experienced by the time he kind of worked with Fukusaku on this project. He'd had experience in... Uh, taking real life criminals and kind of, you know, um, uh, making them into a, a screenplay, um, kind of fictionalizing their, their lives a little bit, making it into a screenplay. So, you know, that's a little bit of a background on this. Um, and, uh, oh, well, I guess so. There's two movies that were made. 1975, Fukusaku made a movie called Graveyard of Honor, which is what we'll probably talk about first. And then 2002, Takashi Miike um, made a kind of loose retelling of the story. I guess you could say remake, but really he went back and kind of said, what would it look like if this Rukio character was alive in the kind of late 80s, early 90s? And he made a movie called New Graveyard of Honor. So trying not to make it exactly the same, but, but very similar. Um, I have some interesting parallels. So I'll, I'll tease this and Zach, don't let me forget. And Adam, don't let me forget. Uh, when we talk about the Mike one, I have a tie-in to two different things we've spoken about in the podcast previously. There's some interesting tie-ins I found when I was digging into the movie. So don't oh, let me forget. Rainy dog, we're getting some rainy dog stuff. <clears throat> no, good, good, okay. good, good lead-in, but not even nothing related to Takashi Mike. Uh, just some interesting tie-ins uh, about that. But first, we'll talk about 1975 Graveyard of Honor. Um, I would be. Zach, we picked on you a lot last week for Godard Week. I have a feeling that you and I are going to be more positive on these movies, but Adam, I would love to hear what you thought about uh, Graveyard of Honor. Uh, yeah, sure. So I've been kind of exposed to a few Yakuza movies over the last like 12 months. Uh, I saw the first Battles um, Without Honor and Humanity, which is by the same director. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I, I liked it. Uh, I think I joked with you guys. It was like the Godfather on times two speed. Yeah. Um, and I, I find that a lot with these Yakuza movies. They end up being similar. Um, they're like, you know, American crime gangster movies, but kind of sped up a bit more, a bit more uh, frantic um, with how they're being made. This, this movie is pretty short. It was like 90 minutes or maybe like 95 yeah. minutes, something like that. A lot happens. Um, I think the movie's kind of a bit of a mess, but I liked how it was filmed. Uh, that kind of almost nearly the documentary style, kind of cameras out on the sheet on the streets shaking about. I liked how it was filmed. Um, I thought the direction was fine. The script's kind of a mess, but you know, and it's it. I feel like it was just trying to pack a lot of stuff into a short enough time frame, and and sometimes you can get a bit messy when you're trying to do that. I hate the main character so, so, so much. I, I hate him. He's, And I get that we're supposed to obviously not like him because he's a, a terrible person. And that's not the reason I hate him. I just hate him because he's just a big dumb asshole. 
You know, yeah. he's not like he's not like Henry Hill, you know, or like Michael Corleone, where they're bad people. So, but, but yeah. like with these kind of guys, yeah, they're bad people. But you know, we can still engage with them. But this guy's just a big dumb asshole. So yeah. I just don't care about him at all. Nothing in this movie he does. You know, I don't feel ah oh, shit. He shouldn't have done that. Now this is going to happen to him. I just don't care. I just yeah. I, I I just hate him. So that that really kind of took away a lot um from of my enjoyment from this movie because i was just so done with the main character so early that i just kind of wanted the film to be over if that makes sense um just because of that so yeah i had a tough time enjoying it um i think like i think it's a it's a decently made film um so i'm not going to really take anything away from from fukusaku i thought it was fine um but yeah, the main character just made me just made me want to just get the film over and done with. I was just sick of putting up with him. Yeah, I want to talk a lot more about that um, the character, but Zach, I'm curious to hear your thoughts before we kind of get into that. You know, it, it's it's interesting going into a lot of these uh, Yakuza films. Is it Yakuza or Yakuza? I've heard it both ways, and I don't know which one's actually correct. So. I say Yakuza, but I'm certainly not Japanese. <laughs> so. Yeah, so it's one or the other, but either way. Uh, and it's always interesting to kind of see them during what time, because I mean, obviously, you know, when you talk about Hollywood, it's very influential across the world. So it's interesting seeing how they differ and how they're similar. So this is a year after Godfather 1 and 2. And while there's like feelings of that there, I will give credit that it doesn't really copy. Like, I, I think what makes the, the, these interesting, and the same with like battles uh, as well, is it's a lot looser in plot. Like sometimes mm-hmm. I kind of lose the plot at times, like what exactly is going on? Because, you know, when you compare it to like Godfather one and two, they are very tightly plotted. And some people may even say to like a detriment of it if they don't like it. But this mm-hmm. one, it's sometimes you just feel like you're just hanging out, which is either good or bad, depending on what you want. But it can be hard to follow, especially when there being so many characters. And that's what was my problem. Like, well, I've seen battles three times. I love battles. But I've seen it three times, and I finally kind of get like everything that's going on. Finally, because sometimes I'll be watching, be like, "What? What's what's exactly going on?" I'm not 100 percent sure anymore. So I do like it. I, I I will get into. It. I actually like Mike's better, and I'll get into why later. But I like this one. I it, compared to Battles, I think Battles is much better. But this is still a pretty cool little movie. Yeah. So just quickly, the world puts this at 2798. Um which you know where that sits it sits um just a few slots ahead of shaolin soccer which made me smile that's a disgrace um, shaolin soccer is much better oh yeah without a shadow of a doubt <laughs> it sits 10 ahead of true lies um uh, anyways so it's it's kind of up there with the in there in that in that group um, so, you know, it's interesting uh, for, for me, um, Adam, I had the same reaction to you did. I was watching this movie and I was just like, why, 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 why did he make a movie about this guy? <laughs> um, you know, like there's nothing really interesting. There's no arc there, right? Like you think about narrative features, there's usually some kind of an arc. Um, but then it, then it dawned on me when I was watching the Mickey version, actually not to jump ahead, but then, then it made me go back and think about this character more, you know, there's, 
his, like, do you remember there was an episode a while back we were talking about um, Chunking Express, and 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 my and my question to you, Adam, was like, I just didn't like the romance, and and you said, yeah, but some romance is like that. Like, why not film it, basically, right? And I think that there's a certain subsection of cinema, like Sid and Nancy would certainly be up there uh, in this category. Um, there's probably more we can think of, but there's some like some slice of cinema that's just about these really despicable characters, and there, there's just there's an interest in that. I think, right? And I I don't know how interested I am, <laughs> to be honest. But like I do understand that it, it, from a if if you're just thinking about how to tell like a different story or a new story. Uh, especially in J Japanese, you know, studio system that was just producing like 200 films a year or whatever that crazy number was. I could see the appeal in maybe going back and trying to do something different. And so this represented just something that was completely different and unique in, in that, you know. Uh, I, I think when you talk about like a character like this, whose name I won't even attempt to say because I'll get it wrong. Um, you know, it's it's not the same as like Daniel Plainview. Like there will be blood. Who is an awful human being who does a lot of destructive things, but is ultimately still very interesting. Mm -hmm. And it's because very few people can do what he's doing, or at least have the capabilities of. Mm -hmm. I think what makes him different is anyone can be an asshole. Like anybody could be like chaotic, and chaotic can be interesting. Uh, I don't know how you. I feel like there is a better way to do this character to make him more interesting than he is in this version. Um, and I think that's where I think it loses. I think we all kind of have that in common where the main character is kind of a hindrance, which is kind of unfortunate because he's the focal point of the film and all the events in the film happen because of him. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it tracks, it tracks along with him in a way that makes us feel like we're supposed to sympathize with him at some point or like, you know, like even the way that he tells the story with his, with the, with the woman that he ends up with in the movie right like it's there's no point where it seems like they should be together like he just basically kind of keeps showing up and abusing her until they're sort of together <laughs> like which is terrible right i mean there's nothing really like there's no other way to look at that story the way that it was shot No, and it, and it comes back to what you said before, you know, to, to have an interesting character, the majority of the time, there needs to be some kind of arc. And it doesn't always have to be a good arc, you know, we didn't have, this didn't have to be a redemption story for it to be good. Like, again, if you look back at the, like the Godfather, for example, and Michael Corleone, you know, he starts off very clean cut, straight laced soldier. And then, you know, he becomes the sort of um, the, the, the gangster. So, you know, some could say that's a, a negative arc because, you know, he goes from being essentially a, a normal dude to being a, a crime boss capable of terrible things. So I'm not saying that we should have had to have seen, you know, Ishikawa suddenly become a, a good dude or whatever, but I felt like there needed to be some reason for us to care about him. And and I couldn't find any reason to care about him at all. I was I was done with his character very early. Um, you know, there's you know, we talk about chaos, so like, like again, like let's just say, let's just jump on a character and say the Joker, right? The Joker in in the Dark Knight, very chaotic character, but he's not the main character. We get him mm -hmm. in small little spades throughout, which is good. But when like 
if this would be like you know trying to watch a whole movie of Heath Ledger's Joker, which I don't think I think that would be a freaking nightmare. Uh, you know, and I don't even like the I don't even like the Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie. Um, but you know, he's 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 that's like that's like basically not even a Joker movie anyway. So if we're going by the sort of you know the character in the comic books, but um, yeah, just kind of say like ninety minutes of this chaotic asshole. You know, it's it was just, it was just too much. There's just no reason for me to care about him. I couldn't find any reason for me to care about what he does. I just wanted him to die and for the movie to be over, and then I could be happy. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and then um, the other thing I think that I just kind of want to call out is like you know we have um, Gigi Allen is a real life guy in the punk scene. I don't know if you've all ever heard of him. Uh, yeah, there is a documentary. Yeah, yeah. There's a documentary made about him called Gigi Allen and the Murder Junkies. Um, or, or that was his band. Uh, the documentary is called something else. I remember here in a second, but um, you know he he's similar to this character, I think. And then I really do think the character of Sid and Nancy in that movie has a similar sort of storyline. There are just certain characters that they they don't really have an arc like we're talking about, but they have this folklore and kind of this mystique behind them. And you know the interesting thing is in Japan, this guy had that this character is a legend right like like he's the guy that went against the yakuza code and he's the guy that stood up to the yakuza and did things his own way and died his own way like so he's this legendary folk hero and i think that that's interesting for japanese audiences to kind of see that on screen um so i I think that's why it's interesting and i think without that cultural context for us it just it's it's something is, is lost a little bit I wonder if you have like, because it kind of how you're describing it to me, and this is going to be the most film bro take I could ever give. It's very much a very Tyler Durden type thing, right? No, but, you didn't go there. I did go there. But the difference <laughs> when you're talking about something like that, where you're seeing this like folklore, we'll say folklore in quotes type character, you have another character, another quotes that you follow instead. So it's kind of like the same thing with like the Dark Mike and the Joker, since we brought that up, where your perspective isn't him directly. And so you're seeing it from someone else's eyes and you can see that limited perspective of why they're great. But when you get this intimate perspective of, you know, just him, so you're seeing flaws and all, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but it makes it hard to say, why do they, why do they like this guy so much? Like what, what makes him this folky type character for that? I guess is where I'm going. Yeah. I think that's a great perspective. You know, like I just said, we'll be film bros from it. We'll talk about Fight Club. And we'll talk about The Dark Knight. Um, <laughs> like with these films, you have you have your vehicle character. You have that kind of every man who is your viewpoint to the. Well, I'm not going to say Batman is every man, obviously, but you know what I mean. You have that person that you can side with, can be your window into this world. So whether it's Batman or whether it's the narrator, uh, Edward Norton's character in in, in Fight Club they're your view into this chaos. And as you said, you get a limited perspective of that. But Graveyard of Honor doesn't give you that outside character that you can follow and kind of witness um, to a kind of lesser extent, to kind of maybe a more less chaotic version. It's kind of the same with The Great Gatsby. Um, mm. The way you follow Nick Carraway, you know, he's he's your viewpoint into this world. Um, and Graveyard of Honor doesn't give you that. You're kind of forced to be put in close quarters 
uh, with Ishikara, uh, Ishikawa, sorry, and to go another film bro route, it's kind of like in Watchmen when the dude is like, you're trapped in here with me. That's what it feels like. You're trapped in this movie with this Ishikawa guy and you're not allowed to leave until he dies and you have to sit with that. So that's, it's all gone full circle. We're all uh, Snyder fans now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's why I felt watching this movie. I was trapped in this movie with him and I didn't want to be there. You know, I I like that, Adam. You went for like, let's do the film bro thing. Like, I'm going to bring it back artistically to Great Gatsby. And now we're back to watch it. So, you know, it's a nice little arc we got going on here. Yeah, you know, have to get everybody involved. All the listeners need to need to have their reference points. You know, it's funny, the more I don't know what this is a flaw in my personality, but the more y'all are talking about not liking it now, all of a sudden, the more I'm liking it. <laughs> so we're going well, what's funny this is I like the movie. I actually like it. I just don't like him, <laughs> <laughs> like, which feels like a flaw. But I'm just like everything around him. I like I like. Yeah. Everything. Yeah, I certainly don't hate this as a movie. I just, I just hate the character a lot, and it just made me. It, it was detrimental to my enjoyment of the movie. You know, looking at the movie from a from a filmmaking point of view, I don't think there's much wrong with the filmmaking apart from the script, which I think it's that's more so an issue with they're just trying to pack a load of stuff yeah. without a, a real proper narrative structure. Um, if it, like I think even like just including chapters or something might have made it easier to follow because uh, this film does get quite hard to follow at some points um, you know i was just i was just about to say that when y'all were talking about having that kind of like counterpart i i i know that you're not really supposed to use voiceover but even to have a character narrating this is like a news story or something like just something to kind of pull it back and, and put in context why we're supposed to be liking him or or not liking him sorry but like why this character is important to follow because, you know, if it's true that audiences in 1975 would have just immediately run to see this Ishikawa movie because they were obsessed with the, the, the folklore. So they didn't need it. Right. They had the background and context and they were just like couldn't wait to see the, the Bonnie and Clyde story or whatever. Like, what, you know, whatever was coming out about this destructive criminal. Um, but but without that context, it, you know, we're having to to do a lot of, of cycles and trying to, to figure out why to like this movie. So some, some of that maybe could have even helped. And maybe, um, maybe, maybe that's a good comparison you make. Cause I was trying to think of a, of a cultural comparison to the West, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just trying to make sense in my head, why people want to flock to see this. And I was trying to think of a, a good counterpart to that. And Bonnie and Clyde is kind of perfect, isn't it? Um, you know, they're not, you know, they're, they're murderers and, and thieves, you know, they're not redeemable yeah. in any way. Uh, right. But people kind of have this affinity towards them because they, you know, said screw you to the law and went on the run on the lamb. They, they became folk heroes, even though there's nothing really redeemable about them in terms of the actions they took. Right. So, you know, maybe that is a good sort of cultural counterpoint from a, a Western point of view. Yeah, but I think, you know, what helped Bonnie and Clyde, this will be a small tangent, is, you know, they were overkilled, you know. So, you know, while they, the object to take them, you know, down in some way, whether it be, you know, in prison or what, whatnot, they were just horribly murdered. And I think that attracted people because it's like, oh, the police, like, yeah, they were bad, but look at what the police did. That sort of became idea. martyrs. Yeah. And the same thing happened, and this will be a small tangent as well. I'm going to give you a bit of Irish history. Um, so in, in 1916, when we were under British rule, there was a, an attempted rising um, from a bunch of leaders who were just trying to take back the Ireland from the British. Um, but at the time, 
the public was like pretty much against them, you know, when they were eventually captured and rounded up, people on the street were throwing rotten vegetables at them because they just destroyed Dublin. You know, they destroyed a load of buildings. They made a mess. They annoyed people. And everyone was like, oh, just get on with it. Why do you have to be trying to get back at the British all the time? Just get over it. And if the British had put them in prison, then we probably would be still under in the UK. But instead, the British shot them and they became martyrs. And that sort of set everything in motion then for Ireland getting its independence. So oh, kind of kind of similar in that regard. They, they became folk heroes and they became martyrs because they died for the cause. Whereas if they were just put in prison, you know, history would have been completely different. And Bonnie and Clyde probably would have been the same scenario if they were just captured and put in prison. It'd probably only be like crime podcasters who would give a crap about them. Right, 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 right. And you know, um, I I like how European that sounded, Adam, when you were like, they were blowing up buildings, you know, just generally annoying people. I'm like, that is like the most European way to describe blowing up buildings. It was a little annoying. Yeah, well, I say blowing up buildings. They were just like blowing some walls out. They weren't like, you know, going proper C4 or anything. <laughs> um, but yeah, they were just being general nuisances is the best way to put it. Not very polite of them. Um, yeah, and I guess it's that time period, right? Like when you look at like the 1800s and 1900s, a lot of outlaws got, yeah. that, got that type of thing. You look at Ned Kelly in Australia, or you look at the Old West. I mean, we still obsess about the Old West in the U.S., um, I guess that idea is, I guess this might be, I guess, Japan's kind of version of that. Someone going, because I mean, this is, and this could be the cultural where I have a heart, I, I would understand this better if I was part of it. But I guess the Yakuza have like a pretty big hold over Japan. So someone kind of going against that could be seen as that own sort of martyrism or just that annoyance that you were kind of talking about. Yeah, it's you know it's interesting. Um, the I'm I'm gonna get the details wrong, but the, the the general point is correct. I was digging into the yakuza history. There's a really interesting link we can, we can even include if people want a background. It was um, from the initial DVD release. There's somebody had photographed all the liner notes from that, and it gives a really interesting background into the movie, the character, and the yakuza, uh, and they they break down the meaning of the word and it's the ya who and za are three uh, essentially results in a gambling game and if if you get this combination of numbers it's essentially like good luck going against us so it was it came out of gambling and it was started from this this idea of like you know it's it's bad luck if you're going to come up against us um and so even you know like his I'm trying to think of a good analogy. If you think of like the punk rock movement, a lot of the punk rock idols, and I say this just because I keep thinking of Sid and Nancy, but a lot of the punk rock idols, they were anti-social in their behavior, right? They they said, no, we're going to do things our own way. Like, And so I think there's this, there's this, there's always been a draw to people that kind of do things their own way and just don't listen to the system. Watching a movie about them is tough because it's almost like they're detached from the norms and the, and the rhythms that we have in like the way characters are developed and stuff. And that's kind of the point, I think, of what makes them interesting. Um, but, but it still is, is difficult to watch um, them just not have any ties to like the world, you know, or any ties to other people. I think the, this world uh, doesn't often get represented in movies and it's difficult because if you're going to make a film with mass appeal, you don't typically put characters like this in the lead. 
Um, but you know, this was made for a very specific audience in a very specific time. And and so I think in that way, I think this film was probably why, why it was so successful and why it's so revered. And then, you know, we'll talk about this in just a second. I think Mika did a good job of kind of reimagining what that character would look like. Cause I'm imagining even in Japan, I bet you by the eighties and nineties that that character had lost a little bit of the, um, it just wasn't probably on the tip of everybody's tongues like it would have been in the 40s and 50s and 60s, right? Yeah. Uh, so I think he, he I, well, we can get that in just a second. But I don't know if there's anything else to talk about here other than if it's worth talking about the relationship at all. I just I just didn't understand how they were together or why they were together. But um, I, I don't know how much discussion there is around that. I mean, I think it's probably just it is what it is. It's it's. It's an unfortunate thing, it's, but it is a reality um, that a lot of people sort of end up becoming attached to their abusers. So, you know, that was one thing I didn't really have much of a problem with in this movie. Um, like, obviously, to most people, you're going to be thinking, you know, what is she doing? You know, why mm -hmm. is she sticking with this guy who abused her? And unfortunately, that just that's just what happens sometimes. Um mm. Yeah, it's and it's just kind of as simple as that. I don't really have any more profound points on it. It's like when you brought up what I talked about on another episode. Sometimes those relationships exist, and this film just showed it. I see. Okay. Yeah, that's that's sad, but I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, certainly one of those sad things in life, but it it does absolutely happen. Okay. Now. Uh, so excited to kind of shift gears and and talk about Kashimike's version of this story for a couple of reasons. Um, well, I guess I should say so. 2002, he he, he reimagined this story. I'm a little shy to use the word remade because the title is actually different in Japanese. So the direct translation is "New Graveyard of Honor." So it's not a direct remake. It's you know him going back to the character. Uh, and kind of figuring out what it would be like in modern times. I think Takashi Miike is a fantastic person to make this film about this character, um, which we'll get into in a second. I think he brings, I think he has a deeper understanding for the chaos that can go on inside of a sociopath. <laughs> um, and I don't know if, if he himself is that way or if he's just very kind of sympathetic to to. I guess, you know, fringe characters, because movies are just chock full of people like this, right? <clears throat> um, but he was able to kind of pull apart uh, a whole movie based off of this this type of character that that exists in his movies. Um, so I, I, I can't wait to get into this discussion a little bit. Um, there, there's three things I want to say quickly before I get y'all's takes. Uh, the world does not love this movie to the same way. So uh, if Graveyard of Honor from 1975 was the 2798th best movie, this one is the 17,119th best movie as rated by uh, They Shoot Pictures. No point in really talking about the movies that are around it, I think, at that point. <laughs> um, the only thing I'll say is that Sympathy for the Underdog, Yakuza Graveyard, and Cops vs. Thug are three Fukasaku movies which are within 20 points of uh, of, of Graveyard of Honor, the, the Mike one. So it does feel like, you know, if we think about these critics making these lists and putting these films in the top 10, 
what that says to me is that there's a subsection of this group that really loves Yakuza movies and is ranking these ones on their list for them all to be kind of together is interesting. Um, but, okay, so first of all, uh, Adam, I thought you might be interested in the mentor for Takashi Miike. So I didn't know this. I was just kind of researching a little bit. Uh, so Takashi Miike's mentor was Shohei Imamura. Oh, yeah. Um, and you've seen at least Black Rain, right? Yeah, I've seen Black Rain. I'm trying to remember if I've seen another one. Um, I have the box set. Um, okay. I've definitely seen Black Rain. I can't remember if I've seen another. I'm just pulling up his. But you really liked Black Rain, right? Yeah, Black Rain was fantastic. Um, uh, from what I from what I'm aware of, it is very different from his other films. I think he was one of those guys that was making like those Japanese new wave movies, kind of right. earlier in his career, those kind of crime ones. Um, so I think it is supposedly a fairly different from his other output. But yeah, I thought Black Rain was fantastic. That's cool. Um, yeah, it doesn't have to be right. the only one I've seen anyway. Um, is Black Rain. Yeah, I still haven't seen anything by him, but I, I want to. Um, he was the one that told Miki to go to film school, I think, and uh, kind of make his early work that he was doing more formal. Uh, and then Zach, I was laughing when I read this piece. So the character in this movie, instead of being called Rikio Ishikawa, uh, Miki changed the character's name slightly. Um, and it is uh, Rikyo Ishimatsu, right? So Ishimatsu is played by a guy named Goro Kishitani. I don't know if you recognized him, but his very first credit as an actor was Battle Heater. <laughs> yes! We got a Battle Heater connection. <laughs> so full circle here. We're, we're covering... Uh, <laughs> everything and they live by film i laughed really hard when i saw that i think he was part of the rock group in battle no, no, I, was... I, I would say i'd go back and check but i'm not going to <laughs> um but yeah so so takashi Miike's take on this um uh, folklore type type hero made in a very takashi Miike way i guess let's go with the same way adam let's how did this um go for you as compared to Fukasaku's version? So going by they they shoot pictures, I'm clearly a man of the people because I hate this movie. Uh, okay. It sucks. Um, I have all the same problems I have with the, with, with the 75 version, but I know you're not calling this a remake, but I'm calling it a remake because it is. Um, for me, for a remake to have any kind of success or be interesting, I think it needs to add something of importance and the only thing new graveyard of honor adds is 40 minutes uh of which i don't understand anything of value comes from that extra 40 minutes uh i got nothing from this film at all like the last one i just wanted it to end but the hard part was i had to wait longer for it to end um don't the script obviously is is just as kind of messy as the Fuka, what, what's his what's his name? The guy who made the seventy five version, Fuka Hatsu or Fukasaku. The script is just as messy, but I think when you have a messy script and ninety minutes, you can try and tell the people, oh, it's not messy, it's just frenetic. But when you have a messy script and over two hours, you can't really hide behind that. Um, 
obviously the character is probably an even bigger asshole in this movie and probably maybe even dumber um so i kind of hated him even more in this film there's two positives i'll take from new graveyard of honor and that is it made me like the 75 version slightly better and the score is amazing i love the i love the music in this film it's probably the best jazz score since elevator to the gallows that is the only reason this film was granted two stars on my letterbox because i would listen to the soundtrack and it made me slightly appreciate the 75 version a little bit more otherwise i hate this movie Uh, yeah Fair enough. Zach, what about you? Uh, I'm on the other end. I like this one uh, a little bit more than the 75. I do think it has similar issues, but I think what makes it work a little bit more for me is um, I think it's interesting to look at these films and see how these directors approach violence because they're both very violent directors, but in completely different ways. Yeah. So uh, Mike has always been a little over the top. That's kind of been his thing. And of course, this was one, I think it was just one year after Itchy the Killer. So, right. Ishii, however you want to say it, um, which I think is a very interesting parallel anyway, which we may get into is, you know, with uh, with Ishii, it's, um, you have a similar chaotic type character, mm-hmm. very similar, mm-hmm. but he's also not in the entire movie. And he's a little bit, not a little bit, he's a lot smarter <laughs> than the um, <other laughs> character here. But I do think it overall, I think the, the I think the plot's easier to follow. Um, I do think the actor who plays the main character is slightly better here. Yeah. Even if I do agree with Adam that he makes dumb decisions. Like the one that stood out to me was uh, when he goes to shoot the boss, the guy, like there, there's a moment. And honestly, I don't even put the dumbness on the main character. I put it on the other guy. There's a part where he's reaching into a box and, you know, uh, they, they look at each other. So, you know, at, at that point, I'm on his side. Like, I would think he's got a gun, too, because, like, he pauses and then goes back to it and doesn't say anything. So I'm like, yeah, blame the dude for shooting him. Like, I would like he could have just said, hey, man, I got some money for you. Here you go. Like, not let's take a, a strong look at someone. And then, like, yeah, he's going to shoot you. <laughs> like, you're just begging him to at this point. Yeah. That, I, I totally agree. So I'm going to go a step more uh, and say that I really like this movie. And Adam, just like we were trying to kind of uh, show show Zach uh, how Godard is, uh, has value, I want to try to make a, a case for this here. Not to convince you, but just to kind of let you know what I like about this. I kind of alluded to this earlier. <clears throat> I think Mike is the right person to make this movie uh, not that he's technically probably as gifted as as Fukasaku. I think that's, I, w- I won't make that argument. Um, they're, they're very different style directors. But I think he added an element of humanity to this character that was needed uh, for, it, for it to resonate with me better. I, I do agree, I would have liked it to be 20 minutes shorter. I don't know exactly what I would have cut but there, there's definitely something. I feel like it could have used a few edits um, to, to bring it down in length. Um, but I, I, I like the fact that I think the character of, in this case, it was um, Ishimatsu. I think he was uh, unhinged, and I, and I like the way that Mike showed him as unhinged. Um, 
but there is brief moments of humanity. Like I think he, it also showed like, I like, okay. So here's it's kind of my point where I brought up earlier on, I was asking about the, the romance. I actually think that Mika did something interesting here where I think that Ishimatsu did love Chiko, Chiko. I think he actually did love her. And I think this movie shows his, the way that his brain shows love which is so backwards and wrong. But, you know, you, you basically watch this innocent, um, I don't even know if she's like a waitress or a hostess or something in, in, in a club that he went into in the beginning. And you watch this descent as she goes down uh, with him into drugs and into like supporting him. And sh she shows up at the prison. And, you know, uh, I think it showed that that, that relationship um, uh, how toxic it was for her, I think it showed it more. Uh, and so I think it was more impactful to show how destructive he was in her life. I think it did a better job of showing that. Um, and I think it showed also how he was sincerely reaching out to love her. I think there was more emphasis on their relationship here. And I think it showed just how, you know, the, if you think about the note that he left at the end of his life, right? 30 years, wow, what a laugh. It's been a wild ride. Like this guy is just completely off, right? And, and everything that happens in the movie and, and his life, I guess you could say, was for him just kind of like a game. There was no, he didn't take any of it seriously. Like he didn't, none of it bothered him. Um, you know, and I think Miyake did a better job of showing that. Um, like for example, when he's walking up steps, slipping on his own vomit to go shoot a boss later in the movie, like it's disgusting and it's, and and I think it's supposed to be right. Like, like I think those kind of things that Mike put in here made it more effective for me in showing how we're not supposed to sympathize with this character. This is just uh, a showcase of a horrible, like despicable person, and isn't it interesting? <laughs> kind of thing. Do you think it's more like if we talked about like the uh, first one is a lot more sh kind of a show of like why the Japanese people saw this as a folk hero. Versus this one that almost feels more like a criticism of it. In a Honestly, kind of, yeah. Because he's definitely, and I guess that's what makes it more enjoyable for me is just because, not necessarily that, but just Mike kind of in his own style goes about as hard with anything as he can. Yeah. yeah. He's like, What's the most extreme version of anything I can do? And, mm -hmm. he always, and that's what he goes for. And I, that's what I think gives him his fandom, which is why when we watched uh, Rainy Dog. I was like, man, this is really reserved for me, <laughs> Like, it's no, totally. very, yeah, this one, um, I mean, you could take the two, since we've already kind of alluded to it, the two suicide scenes and this, and I was like, I think that highlights these directors about perfectly, <laughs> like. Oh, man, like, the, 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 the suicide scene in this film annoyed the shit out of me. <laughs> I loved it. I just thought that was the stupidest, most, like, <laughs> come on, dude. Wait, you, you mean the amount of blood? It was just like the elevator scene out of The Shining. I just, I just, yeah, that kind of just summed up the film. I was like, well, that was stupid and annoying. And yeah, and I think I think that's really sums up if you like or dislike BK, like at least his type of films like Audition and EP and stuff like that. Is if you like that type of thing, he's your director. If you don't, you're gonna have to kind of search and find some stuff where he doesn't quite do it that bad. <laughs> like, uh, uh, like, I'm currently zero. Yeah, because I'm, I'm currently zero for two on BK. Uh, I didn't really particularly care for Rainy Dog either. I, I think I am still intrigued to see Audition 
Um, but yeah, I know I, he has like 30 yeah. billion movies anyway. So I think the sure audition of the horror movies that he's made, I think audition is the most well-made like, like all around. He took like think... an extra week to make that movie. Exactly. But stay away from Visitor Q. You will absolutely hate it. You will oh, hate do it. not it's ever, do not but ever you, watch it. You brought this up on, I think, the last episode. Don't, we were... don't, don't do it. <laughs> you, Adam, I will already tell you you will hate it. Yeah, I, I remember we looked this up. Uh, I looked this up when you brought it up last time we spoke about this. And <laughs> yeah, I won't be watching it anytime soon. Is 13 Assassins good? Yeah. That's yes. something that'd yes. be up my street. That one is going to be closer to something you would. Yeah, it looks up my street. Maybe I'll watch Thirteen Assassins at some point. Yeah, that oh, was Jesus. a that's a very homage heavy movie for him. Like he he's really mm-hmm. just celebrating his influences. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Ishi, I, I don't know how you feel about Ishii the Killer though. I'm kind of curious because that's one I consider to... one of his more well made as well. Like you're talking to me, right? Not Adam. Adam, actually, yeah, yeah. Okay. Like I know you well, like. Well, I've pulled up, I pulled it up here on Letterbox, and I see the banner image for it. So I can already say I don't have any interest in Ichi the Killer. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I, I, I see like, a room, I see a room full of blood and bodies and guts and heads. Oh yeah, it, it, so. it, it's it's a very bloody film. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think but, I'm okay. I think I'm good. I, but there's, um, you know, you talk about not really wanting to see a lot of sexual assault if you don't have to. That, I mean, that is in Ichi pretty strong. So I would say I forgot. Like, it's been a while since I've seen. It. I couldn't remember. Yeah. I would say there's there's multiple reasons why Adam you probably shouldn't watch that, but um, it's not that it's like the point of the movie, but it's in there, you know. So, um, yeah, I I love I love it's it's like I love Itchy for the same reasons I love Ricky O. It's just this over the top like manga adaptation um, that's fun, I think. But Itchy is much darker. Yeah, it is. It's um, I, you never know. I, I've seen it a few times, and I never know how like what my emotional level is by the end of it. I'm just like, I think I'm just exhausted. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't know if if you know, I, I'd be curious, Adam. Not that I, I'm going to try to convince you to like this movie, but uh, you know, to to the point of, you know, I left this movie feeling like I understood why this character had a movie made around him more than I did with the 1975 version and, and, and what, and how this character was more despicable and uh, more clarity on the fact that we were not supposed to sympathize with him. I was wondering if, if you had anything like that or were you just basically bored and just trying to scrolling on your phone until it ended? Fair enough. Yeah. Like, Oh, but not that I was scrolling on my phone, right? I was just, yeah, I just have no interest in this in this character at all. Um, like I get about what you know, I get wanting to make a film that's an indictment of a character and their behaviors. And you know, we've talked about these, you know, we've talked about these films so already in the in the podcast, whether it's Goodfellas or The Godfather. You know, these are these are not characters to be celebrated, but they're interesting three dimensional characters. This dude is just walking, talking murdering and raping you know he's I, I just don't find him interesting at all he's just everything i kind of hate about humanity in one person so i just have yeah i just have zero interest in him as a character and i know that that's more an issue with me than the movie um you know more you know i know that's 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 something that it just doesn't doesn't wrote me the right way i know it's not a particular problem with the movie itself but because 
you know, we're forced to hang out with this guy for over two hours in this instance or 90 odd minutes in the 75 version. It's a detriment to trying to enjoy the movie because I forced to put up with this guy. You know, we don't get respite. We don't get a subplot following other characters. Um, well, in the 75 version, I suppose you do get that slightly in the 2002 version. I think there's more subplots. I have no idea what happens in so much of this film. I'm not going to lie. I had real trouble following it. Um, but I, there is certainly more characters, but we're still kind of stuck putting up with this dude. And I just hate everything about him. Um, and I just don't find him interesting. That's that's my main problem. I have no problem with a movie that focuses on a bad guy. Um, but I just don't find him interesting at all. There's a scene in the movie in the in the Mickey version that that I think really sums up this character for me. I just just to build on, uh, again, not not for the sake of trying to convince you, but just I think little subtle things that Mickey did that I liked. He was, uh, you know, on heroin, doped out of his mind. Uh, the police came to his hideout and he got in a shootout with them. Right. And he's just firing bullets like not even really accurately, just just in this kind of shootout runs out of bullets. And he's just, it, I think it's a good job of showing how he didn't live in the same reality as the rest of us. He just switched all of a sudden, brought out a white flag and said, okay, I'm out of bullets. Like, it's almost like this whole thing is just a game for him, right? Like he didn't, he had no understanding that he was probably going to get shot the second that he stopped shooting. He just reached for a white flag and was like, okay, the game's over. I'm out. Like, you can come get me now. I just wanted to, you know, have my, have my, like, uh, stand my last stand. And he's almost like a person of principle that has like none. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's how you act if somebody's very principled in that sense. Like, look, I'm not gonna go out like without trying, but I'm not really gonna try that hard. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. And all that um, stuff just adds to my annoyance. You know, I, I know I've been. I finally thought of a character um, in a movie that kind of reminds me of him. Um, and he's just like, he's like Tony Montana. I hate Tony Montana so much. Yeah, yeah He's yeah. just a dumb, bitchy asshole. Uh, I hate Tony Montana. I think Scarface is a better made film than this one, purely because Brian De Palma is just a better filmmaker. Uh, in my opinion, anyway, from my limited engagement with Takashi Miike, I've seen a lot more De Palma movies than I have Miike films, but... I think Scarface is a better movie, but I hate Tony Montana. I despise him as a character. He's just annoying. And I feel the exact same way about this guy. It's not a bad comparison, honestly, but I, I do think the kind of the fun with Tony is um, because he's so such an idiot, people underestimate him all the time until someone finally doesn't. Like, you know, of course, I don't feel like I'm spoiling Scarface at this point. I think I can do that. But, like, essentially, like, the whole movie, the reason he's so successful is because he's like, well, he's an idiot. I don't have to worry about him. Where this character is, it's almost like, I don't know if he's, he, he's dumb, but it's almost like he just doesn't care. Like, Tony cares more, so I guess that's the difference. And might make him more interesting in that way, because, I mean, he, Tony at least has, like, objectives. Like, he has needs and wants that he wants, that he, he's trying to get. Whereas this character doesn't have any of that. Like, I, I actually never know what his end game is or what his plan is. I don't think he has one. He's just kind of going for it. This is this is the thing that I realized. And, and this is, you know, the Mickey film made me appreciate both more. 
I, I don't think he has any. I don't think he thinks more than five seconds ahead. He just he just is impulsive and and evil basically. I mean, you know, he's he has no attachment, like no empathy. Like he looks across from someone, and he doesn't see them as like another human, right? And he he kind of does with Chico, but if if that's his version of love, like yikes, you know, like I and I just think he has absolutely no brooding in like in in the in the things that bind us just just collectively as like to be you know to be able to live together and like to be able to kind of exist together. He does he doesn't have any of that. I don't think. Um, which is why I liked Mickey's version better because I thought that was at least interesting to watch. Um, in the same way that I, I kind of, I, I hated the characters of Sid and Nancy, but at least I can appreciate the movie. Um, I had the, all these same reactions that we're talking about. I had the exact same reactions at Sid and Nancy. I was just like, man, like why, like how is this guy a hero? Like he was Sid Vicious was a terrible person. Um, but you know, now he's on t-shirts. <laughs> yeah, it's always kind of interesting who we like idolize. And I mean we we see that all the time. We talk about um Travis Che Guevara or Che or you know, anyone like that where we, we find these terrible people, but they represent something else. Like if you uh-huh. like sit down and say, Let me just see a blow for blow of what they did, you're like, Man, they were terrible people, but they represented uh-huh. one small thing and that meant everything. Mother right? Teresa. Yeah, like, I'm just kidding. <laughs> there you go. You said it. Not like it. I'm just kidding. Um, but but yeah, no, exactly. I think I I think he is to Japan what all these other people that we're mentioning are kind of to the U.S. So Zach, uh, before we end, then I guess what are we going to be watching next, and well, why is it two more Mickey movies? <laughs> Well, I feel like, you know, just like our character here, that if we uh, keep forcing Adam to watch Mikkei movies, he'll eventually just have to like them. Or I burn the podcast to the ground. (laughs) Don't worry. Uh, But since we uh, went bleak, I figured we'd go even bleaker. Uh, We're going to be doing some dark westerns um, for this time around. So the first one I thought we'd watch, which is a uh, 1999 film called Ravenous, which we have done two films that were on the Snow Westerns Criterion list thing. This is another one that's on there. Uh, this is a uh, horror Western that has like Guy has a great cast. Guy Pierce, Adam pointed out to me uh, earlier that you know there's someone from Lost in it, so you know that's worth the price of admission anyway. Uh, it's a little bit more humorous in parts so what i say with the next one kind of decide which one you watch first uh the other one is going to be brimstone which is 2017 i believe um that one is very very bleak in about every way and it's two and a half hours of bleakness so decide which order you want to watch that in before you go for it (laughs) wait ravenous is the i know right ravenous is the 1999 one you said Okay, here we go. So it's Antonio Bird. Okay. Oh, it's a female-directed one. Yeah, it had another director originally. I can't remember who it was, but he got fired like two days in for, I think, being difficult to work with or something, and she took over. Um, it's really good, though. It's it's very unique. Okay. Her her titles are very succinct. Her titles of her movie are, her movies are Priest, Face, 
ravenous, care, rehab, cracker. <laughs> Very succinct. You don't need more than one word. That's how it I works. know, right? And okay, then, uh, and then brimstone, you said? Okay. Yeah. 2016, Guy Pierce? Yes. Wait, these are just, are, this is like our, a Guy Pierce? Uh... Guy Pierce Western movies. All right, nice. Martin Kuhlhoven, he certainly seems cool. This one came up. Yeah, I remember when this one came up on movie, and I thought the, I thought it sounded interesting. That yeah, it's two... uh, just I, I would say yeah. You know, if you don't want it to ruin your whole day, I have only seen parts of it, so this is actually going to be fairly new. I caught it at my girlfriend's house, and I remember like, hey, I need to re- finish watching that, and it just kind of worked out. So, from what I've seen, it is bleak, it is sad. So you know, if you don't want it to ruin your whole day, then you know, watch it first, then watch Ravenous. I'll just and uh, some comedy movies or something afterwards. Exactly. And where where are these available? Uh, for, or I don't know if we actually have many Irish listeners even with Adam, but uh, I know there it is on movie and it is uh for uh Brimstone, and the channel has Ravenous. Oh, and cool. for us in the U.S., we have it on like Prime Video and Tubi. I think there's like three or four different places playing Brimstone. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Thanks.